Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 25 of Reese Rambles, the official podcast of Control Alt. Reese, how are you all doing? Thank you very much for listening. And there is a man with a strimmer outside my house, a man from the council who's uh, trimming the grass verges. So apologies if there's some uh, weird noise outside, but uh, I'm on a pretty tight schedule and I've got to get this recorded right now, um, as you do, otherwise it won't be out in time for the weekend. Wow, it's getting really loud, isn't it? Can you hear that? What a nuisance. Anyway, at least the verges will look nice. So there are actually uh, around 200 of you tuning in to listen to me every week now, which is fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your support and for tuning in to Reese Rambles. It's really, really cool to have so many people listening. Uh, of course, you'd think um, being, being a big time pro YouTuber like I am with my 20 odd thousand subscribers that uh, I'd be a bit disappointed with that and that I'd be hoping for uh, bigger numbers. But um Actually, and I'm just pleased that anyone's listening at all. And to be fair, even if there were only like five of you, I'd still be recording these because it's nice. It's good to rant and to vent and to get the stuff off my chest. And that number actually ebbs and flows uh, quite a bit. Um, it was down a bit last week because I think it's just school holiday season and lots of people are away and probably don't want to be sitting on the beach listening to my uh, nonsense, which is totally understandable. And then uh, like a couple of weeks ago when I got that shout out from This Week in Retro, when I, I kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, covered for them, uh, and I will be doing some up-to-date, uh, some, some uh, I can't say yet, I can't use the phrase up-to-date, can I? I think they've got that trademarked. Um, I, uh, I will be doing some uh, some news about the uh, the retro world uh, later on in this episode, by the way. It's going to become a regular thing. Uh, but yeah, when I, when I got that shout out from them a couple of weeks ago, I got uh, like 500 odd people listening, which is which is quite cool. And actually, that was my other than the very early uh, episode that I did where I asked people to downvote, um, <laughs> which uh, most people did. Um, that was actually my most downvoted episode of all time as well. So um, that's what happens when you reach out to a wider audience who aren't quite ready for uh, you know this particular style of uh, of nonsense just yet and as far as thoughts on uh, the actual rambles go uh, i was i had one of these random shower thoughts this morning and i was thinking about um podcasts about professional podcasts and you know how they have like how they're packaged, essentially. Um, you know, they'll have like a theme tune and they'll have regular segments and they'll have like uh, what are known as stings, I think they're called, where you have like a little uh, did -did 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 -did, little jolly little tune introducing each section. Um, and how I, I don't have any of those things. I'd be interested to hear people's kind of thoughts on those because the whole concept of this is that um, I wanted to make it as easy and as frictionless as possible for me to sit down and record these uh, just because I have so much other stuff going on with the channel and obviously with my job and everything else. And, um, you know, the, the more kind of barriers that I put in place to uh, get these out every week, the, the more likely it is that it's not going to happen. And I think just kind of keeping it as plain as possible uh, is, is what's best for me. But perhaps, perhaps people would like something a little bit more polished and a bit more professional. I'm not really sure. Um, or perhaps I should just keep doing my own thing. Let me know. Uh, let me know in my Discord or um, in the in the comments section if you are listening on YouTube. Uh, I'd be interested to hear uh, people's thoughts on that. Obviously, it's kind of a kind of a like a late night talk radio kind of vibe at the minute. I think um, you know, just just a guy talking into a microphone. Um, perhaps that's what people want. So just as a bit of a ramble preamble, as always, uh, just before I get into the uh, actual meat of the podcast or. Um, Hey, insert a meat alternative here if you're that's not your bag. 
Um, I have mentioned recently that uh, my friends got married, which is very cool. Uh, they are very much enjoying married life. And of course, the next thing will be the honeymoon. And I've also mentioned in the past that we are going to America at some point later this year. Obviously, I'm not going to give you the exact dates because you know about all the stuff that I have and probably have an idea about where I live as well. Um, so advertising that on the internet probably isn't wise. Although we do have family staying here, so I guess you'll have to fight them off um, <laughs> if, if you do want to come and steal my stuff. But um, yes, it's uh, the time is rapidly approaching when we shall be going to America. Uh, they're going on their honeymoon and we are meeting up with them. We're not going on their honeymoon with them, so to speak. They're going to have quite a lot of time uh, doing their own thing and we're going to be doing our own thing. And there's going to be some crossover where we get to spend some time together, which is really cool. I think it's a really cool way of doing it, a really cool way of structuring it. And of course, with going to America nowadays, you have to fill in an ESTA application, an ESTA, which is an electronic something travel application. I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? Anyway, I'm not known for looking stuff up, but um, the ESTA application, which is an online application, it's an electronic uh, entry requirement to get into America. If you don't fill it in, uh, you get sent straight back on the next plane home. So very important to sort that out. And if you don't fill it in correctly, uh, you either get sent straight back on the next plane home or you get thrown into Guantanamo Bay, depending on how, you know, how egregious your, your crimes against America are. And speaking of egregious crimes against America, uh, there's some very interesting questions in the uh, ESTA application. I really hope they don't find this podcast and use it as an excuse to kick me out. But um, yeah, there we go. This, this, is, this is all good natured, um, TSA. Just um, take it all with a, a bit of a pinch of salt. But, um, <laughs> you know, some of the questions on this thing, and there's seven pages of these questions, and it's all about... Um, you know, obviously there's stuff about your employment status and your employer and you've got to fill all those details in. Uh, stuff like your um, criminal background. Have you ever been convicted for this? Have you ever been convicted for that? Uh, are you planning on overthrowing the US government or uh, staging a military coup uh, is one of the questions which, to be fair, I mean... Uh, I mean, it's not a thought that crossed my mind. Um, you know, I like to kind of lead, leave uh, individual countries to sort of sort their own politics out. I don't tend to uh, engage in, in geopolitics and um, take direct action against uh, foreign governments. Um, but hey, you never know. My, my, my stance on that might change at some point, I guess. But um, as it stands, no, I'm, I'm not planning on overthrowing the government. And there's also a question. Um, have you ever engaged in genocide? Um now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know it's it's, it's not a, a subject to be joked about and to be trifled with. But um, it does really throw you when you get to that question because it's like, oh, and yeah, I, I guess everyone who, who who wants to enter America has to fill in the exact application, no matter who they they are. And at some point, I guess somebody somewhere is going to have to answer yes to that question. Um, but yeah, it really makes you think, doesn't it? And um, yeah, you know, stuff like, um, have you ever, ever engaged in industrial sabotage and all of this kind of thing? Um, thankfully, I answered no to all of the questions. Uh, obviously, there's stuff in there about like drug convictions and all that kind of thing, which is weird because we're going to California where um, obviously, you know, a lot of stuff has been legalized. Um yeah, so I should probably talk about the itinerary a little bit, shouldn't I? So, um, yeah, we're, we're going into uh, into uh, San Francisco, flying to San Francisco. We're going straight up to Napa Valley. Uh, we're going to spend a few days in Napa Valley, um, obviously drinking lots of wine. We're going on the wine train, which is really cool. Uh, a really nice old train that kind of goes through all the, all the vineyards and stuff. And you stop off and, and taste the wines and they feed you fancy food on the train. Sounds really good. Um, I hope it's good. I've seen some videos on it and it does look like very much like our kind of thing. So, um 
very much looking forward to that and I shall of course report back uh, once, once we have done it. And then we, we're going to be heading down to, uh, we, I think we're going to spend a day in San Francisco. We're just going to do the typical touristy stuff just so we've done it. You know, stuff like Alcatraz and Fisherman's Wharf. And um, there's actually a video that I want to make while we're there. Uh, there's a museum called the Musée Mécanique. I think I've mentioned this previously, but um, it's like a big museum of electromechanical and mechanical uh, old arcade games I, I guess uh, like music machines fortune tellers pinball uh, they've got some slightly newer stuff in there as well some kind of like a 80s arcade cabinets and stuff I think from what I've seen uh, but it just looks like a really cool thing and I'd just like to go in there and do um, just a bit of a walk around and a bit of a commentary you know stick some quarters in some things and see how they work and, and kind of share that with my viewers and I think that would be quite an interesting video so hopefully we'll find time to do that and then we're going down to uh, LA to Venice Beach, uh, spending a few days on you know in that kind of area, and then we're going into um, you know Hollywood area and that kind of stuff. And um, a lot of Americans have told me that uh, there are parts of San Francisco that aren't very nice, and that there are parts of LA that aren't very nice. I must say, I actually went to um, as a kid. We actually did a very similar trip. Uh, you know, my family went to the west coast of America, and we did go to LA. And my actually my actual overwhelming memory of it was that it was a bit dirty and a bit of a dump. Um, apologies to anyone who lives in LA who might be listening, but um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that London was any better, but. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, how it looks uh, through uh, adult eyes. And then we, uh, once we've done that, we'll be heading up to Las Vegas. Of course, we're doing some other bits and bobs in between as well. And then we're going to spend a few days in Vegas. And uh, that's kind of when we're spending the bulk of the time with our friends. And, um, you, know, you know, he was really looking forward to uh, to going to that and seeing a seeing a show. And uh, again, the, the touristy stuff. Sometimes it's nice to just do tourist stuff. And... Yeah, obviously in Vegas they have the Pinball Museum, which is the biggest pinball museum in the world. And again, they have some old arcade games and some really old stuff, um, some nicer new stuff, some some really rare stuff. And I don't really know much about the history of pinball and stuff either. So looking forward to kind of learning about that. And that's another one where if I have the time, I would kind of, you know, I would like to kind of point a camera at some stuff and do a bit of a walk around and, and talk about the what they have there in the museum. So Hopefully that will all come together quite nicely. Don't want it to detract too much from the trip, but um, hey, I guess I need to do some uh, YouTubing while I'm there as a uh, as a, a content creator slash hashtag influencer. Um, so yeah, the, that that's it. Uh, the Esther application is filled in. Uh, the holidays, uh, you know, all of the. Um, accommodation and the trips and things are booked now flights are booked yeah internal flight uh, international flights so yeah i think that's all uh, that's all ready to go locked and loaded so look forward to hearing more a little bit more about that after it's happened um, but yeah it's uh, it's really not far off now and uh, starting to get quite excited about that and really looking forward to it so onto some actual channel news just before I get into my stories for this week. And of course, the latest release on Control-Alt-Reese was the Atari 2800 replica controller, which was very ably designed and built by my good friend Lee Smith from Lee Smith's Workshop, a really excellent channel, which I can highly recommend uh, that you go and check out if you like uh, all things PCB fabrication and 3D printing and all of that kind of stuff. And of course, we are viewers of each other's channels and Lee watched my video on the Atari 2800, which was the Japanese version of the Atari 2600, that iconic Atari console from 1977. 
And the 2800 was completely redesigned for the Japanese market. It was a very kind of black, sleek, black and red, uh, shiny, modern looking thing. And they also redesigned the controller. So originally the 2600 came with uh, those iconic Atari joysticks, the um, CX40, the black ones with the red fire buttons. Of course, everyone associates with Atari and with the, the golden age of home gaming. And it also came with paddles, uh, which are... Do I need to explain the concept of paddles? I'll explain them anyway. Uh, you know, they have a big knob on the top that spins around and a fire button on the side. And of course, they were based on arcade games of the time. Um, a lot, there were a lot of arcade games coming out around that time that, that used spinners and, and various rotary-type controllers. And of course, they wanted a home version of that. So it connects as a you know, steering wheel for a driving game or um, you know, that kind of stuff. And when Atari released the 2800 in Japan, um, they decided that they wanted to incorporate both of those controllers into one, so they didn't have to ship a box full of uh, different controllers. And they designed something that was very, very interesting and very clever. So you've got the joystick that goes left, right, up, down, of course. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite this really nice, sleek, uh, rectangular, handheld thing. Not at all like the original Atari joysticks, the old square, chunky ones. And it's got the buttons on the side, which of course you can press with your uh, your thumb and your your index finger. And yeah, it's it's a really nice, ergonomic, um, well designed thing. And uh, obviously, its main feature is the fact that um, the joystick goes up, right, left, and down like a joystick, uh, but it also spins around like a spinner or a paddle. And it works really, really well. Uh, but it does have some issues, like you know, the, the self centering doesn't really work very well, and. Uh, they use like um, you know like plastic membrane uh, type contacts just to keep the, the production price down and, and and to switch between paddle and joystick mode there was a button on the console itself so you can't use those controllers with other consoles that don't kind of officially support them and Lee took it upon himself to fix all of these problems which he has done and produced a really really high quality and I, I think it's I think it's fair to describe this as a as a release candidate rather than a finished thing I know he's gone back and redesigned a few things uh, based on on my feedback and, and based on some kind of other ideas that he's had and it's just such a lovely thing I'm actually sat here holding it now and it's got you know it's got a switch on the side to switch between joystick and paddle modes and I must admit, I was going to do that as a supporter video because um, I'm always looking for kind of quick, easy things that I can just pick up off the shelf and, and show to people, you know, interesting things, but um, stuff that I don't have to spend a huge amount of time researching and, 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 you know, producing sort of really slick, high quality videos just to kind of share interesting, cool stuff with people that support the channel because, um, you know, it's uh, just, just a nice way of giving a little bit extra back to them. And I sat down and I kind of started thinking about how I was going to record this video and I thought, no, that's... You know, at least put a lot of work into this. I want to share this. I'll do it as a second channel video. And I actually recorded uh, most of a video. You know, I sat down and hit record on the camera and started talking about this joystick and demoing it. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, this this could work on the main channel. If I, if I tighten this up a little bit, if I just, you know, a little bit of scripting just to kind of, just so I know exactly what I'm going to say about it, th th this works as a main channel video. So that's what I did. I, I aborted that attempt and I uh, sat down and I kind of scripted, you know, made some bullet, bullet points of all the stuff I wanted to talk about, turned that into a proper script, got the old teleprompter out and sat down. You know, I used the same setup that I use for my second channel videos and my supporter videos, just sat at the desk rather than the more kind of formal, uh, is formal is formal a good word for it? You know, you know, the, the, you know, the setup that I tend to use for my main channel videos where you can see the whole room in the background and everything and just uh, sat and talked about this joystick for uh, five minutes. And that video's done, 
it's not done brilliantly, which is I was, was quite surprised about because um, it, it's a cool looking thing that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with. But um, hey, uh, you know that's the nature of the beast. Of course, a lot of people on holiday at the minute as well. So it's had um, it's had like just over two thousand views, and obviously it sent some traffic Lee's way, which is fantastic. Uh, he's actually sold another ZX Mectrum now. I think it's his last one, um, which had been hanging around for a while. Don't know if that is a direct result of um, the interest in his channel from my video, but um, I'm going to take the credit for that because I did mention that in the video. And of course, he's also working on improving the design and hopefully make even making the uh, the 3D printing files and and kind of the PCB uh, Gerber Gerber or Gerber, the PCB fabrication files available so people can make their own. And um, yeah, because there's been a lot of interest from people asking if they could get their hands on one, so. Um, yeah, cool to uh, put that out there and help to kind of spread the word on what he's been working on. And this thing is just lovely, you know, it's all micro switches. I mean, it's, I mean listen to that. And the self-centering mechanism is just, it's just perfect. Anyway, you can see all of that in the video. I will link to that in the usual places. But um, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that video and how it came together. It took, uh, actually, if I'd, if I'd actually committed to scripting that and doing it as a main channel video uh, from the off, it would have taken me less than a day easily. Uh, as it happens, it ended up taking about a day and a half and I was kind of away in the middle of that as well, which held it up a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to do more videos like that on the channel, even if they aren't quite as popular, um, just because it keeps the ball rolling and just kind of shares interesting stuff with people. And that's what that's kind of part of what I want to do with the channel. But there you go, Atari 2800 replica controller by Lee Smith's workshop. Uh, go and check out that video in the usual places. And of course, go and check out his channel and his much more in-depth video on how he designed and built that. Anyway, onto some actual retro gaming slash retro computing news for this week. And the Tetris movie is in the news again. Um, this is something that I really raved about when it came out way, way, way back at the start of Reese Rambles, however many episodes ago it was. Um, you know, it, it was an Apple, Apple TV exclusive. Um, it starred Taron Egerton, who you might know from the Kingsman films, really excellent films, and uh, maybe uh, Rocketman, the uh, Elton John film. Um, you know, uh, we're huge Taron Egerton fans in our household. In fact, we named one of our ducks after him. And my wife in particular, I think, is, is a big fan of him. Um, a very strong jawline. Um, that's Taron, not my wife. And um, yeah, good actor, good actor. And yeah, uh, the reason that the Tetris movie, of all things, is in the news again is uh, not because of some of the uh, historical inaccuracies and uh, technical issues in the film, which were debated at length at the time and got very boring, um, but because the author of a book about the history of Tetris is suing the makers of the film because he believes that uh, the film is an unauthorised adaptation of his book. Um, yeah, but basically, uh, this guy, he's the editor-in-chief of Gizmodo, if you remember that website. Is it still around? I don't know. I haven't looked at Gizmodo in a very long time. Uh, a guy called Dan Ackerman, and he wrote a book called The Tetris Effect, The Game That Hypnotised the World, and it was released in 2016, and basically covered the history of Tetris and how it was developed and, you know, how it was, uh, you know, brought from behind the, uh, the Iron Curtain and, and kind of... Uh, released to the Western world uh, under very improbable circumstances. If you've seen the film or if you're familiar with the story, um, you, you'll know the details. Uh, I can still highly re recommend watching it, by the way. It is, it is an excellent film. I enjoyed it a lot. Very fun. Uh, maybe not, uh, I guess there were some historical issues with it, but um, sometimes you just got to switch your brain off and go along for the ride, haven't you? And 
Apparently, at the time when this book was released in 2016, he was in talks with Hollywood Studios about turning it into a film and actually got quite far and got, uh, you know, screenplays written and that kind of stuff. Went to the official Tetris company at the time and said, can we license your IP and use it for this film? And they said no. And that was that. Obviously, the uh, <laughs> you know a film about the history of Tetris um, can't really happen without being able to actually use the the, the name and, and the branding and stuff from that game. So that kind of uh, was the final nail in the in the coffin for that project. And of course, now years later, you know, seven years later, all of a sudden, a film comes out and it's pretty much identical to the film that he was kind of touting at the time. And he's saying that they basically ripped off his concept. Uh, he's suing them for uh, basically for damages for at least 6% of the film's $80 million budget. So very interesting to see how that one goes. Um, I haven't read the book. I haven't compared it to the film. Obviously, I'm not familiar with the intimate details of the case, but um, very interesting. And of course, if it is uh, just a direct kind of copy of his concept and, you know, one of those studios that he was working with at the time has just nicked it and used it without his permission, uh, then I guess maybe he is entitled to something. I don't know. But um, just a, a really interesting kind of development in something that uh, I'd basically forgotten about. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. So if you cast your mind way, way, way back to 1993, which is 30 years ago now, uh, you may remember the launch of a games console called the Atari Jaguar. Or if you're in America, I believe it was called the Atari Jaguar. But I'm British in it, so it's Jaguar. And um, yeah, one of my favourite consoles of all time. So I really, really wanted one as a kid. I remember reading about it in the uh, Atari ST magazines and, and thinking it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, Atari's uh, marketing department uh, in, uh, in, in full effect there. And of course, it's remembered by history as being a bit of a flop and a bit of a disappointment, which is a shame because it did have a lot of potential. It was just lacking in support um, and had some kind of architectural issues as well and the competition were kind of slightly better but anyway the Atari Jaguar and one of the visions that Atari had for the Jaguar back in the 90s was VR um, you know nowadays you can go out and you can buy a HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift or one of many uh, there's a PSVR as well I think uh, one of one of many uh, VR headsets and slap it on and you can play virtual reality games but Atari wanted people to be able to do that in the comfort of their own homes 30 years ago. And they were actually working with a company called Virtuality, who had, uh, they're, actually, they're actually local to me, they're actually based in Leicester, which is kind of my hometown in the UK. And, um, uh, you know, they, they made these um, big arcade machines that use like a like a electromagnetic sensors and you had to stand inside this big ring and, and put this big helmet on that had like a huge chunky cord that connected you to the to the base and then there was like a controller that you held onto that was like a pistol grip thing with a button on it or two buttons and I actually played with one in, in a video of mine last year um, I made a video about the Retro Computer Museum in Leicester and, and actually got to play on one again uh, for the first time since I was a kid and it's a really cool machine you know really really um you know, sensitive tracking, really accurate tracking in that machine, um, even compared to the modern stuff. And Atari wanted to use that for uh, home users. And of course, you can't expect people to uh, stand inside a giant magnet in the comfort of their living room. So they developed uh, an infrared tracking system that apparently actually worked also worked quite well um, by all accounts based on uh, the few prototypes that still exist and the people out there, the private collectors that still own those. Um, yeah, apparently it actually worked quite well. And unfortunately, it was all cancelled. 
Um, it, it was going to be released kind of a few years after the console itself and Atari imploded and JTS, a hard drive manufacturer, ended up sort of buying up the bits of the bits that were left over in 1996. Uh, really, really weird um, chapter in Atari's history. And of course, all that stuff got cancelled and all of the uh, all of the pre-production prototypes, which were very, very close to uh, final production hardware, uh, got scrapped other than the uh, the one or two that managed to escape and uh, are now uh, like I say in private hands. Anyway, why am I talking about this in 2023? Well, the reason is that um you can finally experience it for yourself thanks to Big PMU, which uh, is a name that still makes me giggle because I am a big child. Um, but Big PMU is, is an Atari Jaguar emulator, and it was developed actually to be used for the Atari 50th anniversary uh, release that they did. Um, was it last year? It was last year. Uh, on the PC and, and the consoles and stuff, which was a really, really cool. Um, it was like a collection of, of games, had some reimagined um, kind of Atari classics in there, as well as some of the uh, original versions. And a lot of interviews with people that worked there at the time and, you know, quite in-depth Atari history and stuff. Really, really interesting to someone like me, who's obviously interested in that stuff. And also, I think for the first time ever, had Jaguar games that you could play. And these were powered by an emulator that they developed internally for this well, I say internally, it was, you know, it was, it, they're basically developed specifically for this release. And after the release, the developer said, hey, you know, can I carry on sort of releasing this thing as an ongoing project? Can, can carry on working on it? And Atari said, yes, yeah, you know, you know, you can carry on putting that out there for free and people can use it to emulate Jaguar games, which is really cool. And he's added VR support to it. So you can now fire up Big PMU and on your uh, modern VR headset or 3D TV or 3D monitor, if you have such a thing, you can play Missile Command 3D. And, um, you know, I think that that was kind of the, the, the commercial game that supported Jag VR, but there were some others, other prototypes and things. I must say the Jag VR stuff isn't, isn't really one of my areas of expertise, but um, yeah, if you have a modern 3D TV or 3D monitor or a modern VR headset, you can fire up Big PMU and you can play Missile Command 3D as Atari originally intended. And that's a cool thing, isn't it? And my other story for this week is all about the Mister. Um, let's just let's just take a moment to talk about what the Mister actually is. I guess for the few people that are listening who might not be familiar, so Mister is um, it's it's a subject of much religious debate online, but um, it's built around a chip called an FPGA, a Field Programmable Gate Array. Uh, which is a type of chip that can be programmed to basically be any other chip. I'm going to use the word emulation here. I'm sorry. I know it upsets a lot of people, but um, this isn't your your standard, um, you know, software emulation like you would see on a PC or a Raspberry Pi or MAME or anything like that. Uh, this actually runs at a hardware level, and it can it can recreate the actual individual logic gates of specific chips from back in the day, because obviously chips were much simpler back in those days, and provide a, a completely 100% accurate one-to-one -one recreation of some of those chips. Now, that's not necessarily how all of the cores in Mr. work. Uh, some of them do fudge things and do some stuff in software and that, and that kind of stuff. Um, I know that's controversial to say, I'm sorry, but um, that's the reality of the situation. But anyway, there is a famous developer in the world of 
mister called Joe Tigo. And Joe Tigo has done absolutely loads of these arcade cores, loads and loads of classic arcade games. I've got a list here up in front of me. Uh, so you've got um, stuff like 1941, 1942, all of those kind of uh, vertical scrolling shooters, um, sh shmups, shoot em ups, whatever you call them. Action Fighter, one of my favourite games from back in the day. Alex Kidd, Alien Syndrome. Um, Altered Beast, Arkanoid. Um, I'm still on A. Bad, bad, bad dudes versus Dragon Ninja. Um, yeah, I mean, I could read all of these. Uh, Bubble Bobble, you know, it's the, the guy who did the Bubble Bobble core for uh, for Mister, which is really cool. Uh, Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Again, I'm still only on C. There's hundreds of these things. And the latest core that uh, Joe Tigo has announced that he's working on is the original Simpsons arcade game from 1991, the four-player one, which is really exciting because... Um, it's, I'm sure it's a cabinet that's very fondly remembered by by most people, you know, who have ever went into an arcade or a bowling alley or whenever in the those kind of those early '90s years, and um, you know, would hear the uh, the Simpsons theme tune blasting out every uh, every couple of minutes from this huge, impressive-looking cab with like four player controllers on the front really uh, really huge unwieldy uh, thing uh, but a really awesome game and it was it was the first uh, officially licensed um, Simpsons arcade game there were a few after that and yeah he's announced that uh, it's under development for Mister and for the Analog Pocket which is another FPGA based system and it has been shown on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called this week, um, showing the track loop and showing that the audio is working, so evidently uh, quite far advanced. I think it's good to show these things when uh, there's actually something to show rather than uh, just like tech demos and stuff, which, uh, hey, Jotigo is is a veteran of all this and um, knows full well what he's doing. So, yep. And um, I should also, I should give a shout out to uh, Jotigo's uh, Patreon as well, because what he does is he releases his work in progress cores on there first for people to test. And as a patron, your name, uh, basically, if you pause the game, which of course wasn't something that was uh, originally available in these arcade games, uh, it comes up with a list of his patrons if you're running one of his cores, which is really nice. It's a really nice way of uh, kind of giving credit to the people that have helped to fund the development of these things. And, you know, I love it. One of my favourite arcade games, uh, absolutely fantastic. And the core is uh, evidently quite far along in its development and very much looking forward to checking that out. And I really do need to dig out my Mr. Multisystem again. And, um, you know, I do play with it occasionally, but uh, I think it's I think it's been a while. Um, and, and just uh, give some of those arcade games another go because uh, they're a load of fun with a proper arcade stick. And because of the way that they run in that FPGA, um, you know, the performance is absolutely spot on. You know, the, the, the emulation, uh, if you want to call it that, is absolutely spot on. And they're really, really brilliant. By far the best way to enjoy those original games if you don't have access to the original hardware. But that's all I have for you this week. So thank you very much, as always, for listening. It's very much appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and to Control-Alt-Reese so you don't miss any of these. And of course, be sure to check out Lee Smith's workshop and his incredible Atari 2800 controller. I still can't get over how good it is. Um, if you want to see the, the video about how that was designed and built, and of course, all of his other really high quality content to covering uh, 3D printing and PCB fabrication and that kind of stuff, uh, do go and check out his channel, which of course, I will link in the usual places along with all the other stuff that I have talked about in this ramble. So that's all I have for you. Once more, thank you very much. And uh, that's it. Bye.